Hi, I'm Andrea. And I'm Claudia. And we're back. We're the Judgy Crime Girls. Hello. Hi. What's happening? Nothing. Nothing at all. I'm just so excited to be here. Me too. It's, it's been a week. It's been a hot minute. I'm always itching to get into the studio. We're glad that you're back, dear listener. Yes. Thank you for all of your support and for voting for us for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Yes. It has meant everything to us that you have voted, that you continue to vote. Please don't stop. Don't ever stop. You can go to our website. Just Google People's Choice Podcast Awards. I promise you we're in three categories. Mm-hmm. So best female hosted podcast, true crime mm-hmm. category as well. And the people's choice. Of course. Yes. All three. So please vote for us. We really appreciate it. And if you do, we will deliver. We will not make you regret it. (laughs) (laughs) And who knows what what else we might come up with. Claudia will probably get another tattoo. She (laughs) ran off and got a tattoo this past weekend. Uh, I was so lazy all weekend, really. She's putting random men's names on her yeah. arm. Hey, maybe I will pick a listener. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> maybe I will, because I'm crazy like that. <laughs> she is insane. Absolutely nuts. I went on my little cabin getaway, and I have to tell you, it's so funny. One of my kids said, Mom, let's play Shanga. And I'm like, what? Shanga? <laughs> yeah, this. I'm like, that is Jenga. Jenga. But we're going to play it quietly. So it is going to be Shanga. Oh, like, shh. Shanga. I love it. <laughs> so a, did you? It's a new game. Yes, we did. Oh, nice. Yeah. The only loud part was when they all fell. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we totally did. Perfect. So that's fun. It was fun. And yeah. there was only like one moment. I was so stupid because one of my friends on social media, she wanted to know where our cabin was because mm-hmm. it looked so cool because it was in the 70s. The whole house was decked out that Safety way. tip 101. Don't give away your location. This judgy crime <laughs> girl was like, sure, and posted <laughs> where it was at. And Kenny was so sweet. He had taken all the kids mm-hmm. out to dinner to give me time to work on my case. Mm-hmm. And I here I am alone in this cabin in the middle of the woods. Hmm. And I'm like, hmm, all right, I just want to get in the hot tub for just, just a minute. And I stepped out on the back deck, and there was a guy in the woods. Oh, see? And I'm like, peace out. I went back <laughs> in the cabin, shut all the doors, locked everything up. I survived. We played Shanga. It was amazing. And I lived to tell the tale. But no. I knew I should have checked on you, but I figured your husband was there. I know. No, no. Um, sure, I'll tell you where I'm at. <laughs> I was so dumb. <laughs> oh, don't ever do that. <sighs> Just don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do any sharing uh, as far as location goes. What I do even, I started doing that back in the day when you still had a garment. You could like stick to your window, <laughs> your windshield. I remember. Those. <laughs> remember? Yes. I would put uh, either a business address or uh, a neighbor's address somewhere close by in as my home address in case I would 
lose it or I would get kidnapped and they wouldn't know where I live or they would follow me. You know, if someone and even now when you put it in, because my last address will pop up on my GPS and my car. Mm-hmm. So uh, so if someone breaks into your car while you're away from home, or you know, you don't want them robbing your home, and you just have somebody, somebody else's address in there, so they can't track you home or whatever. I've heard it happening at airports, long term parking where they break in and get location because your car is at the airport, so they know you're not home. How do they get your location from your car being parked at the airport? I have no idea, but they do. So and you know, half the time I have my car registration in there. So there's like a paper copy or whatever. And you have to carry that shit in your car. Yeah. You know, if you get pulled over, you can't not do that. So but yeah, anyway, even if you get kidnapped or, you know, whatever, don't put your home address in there. But what I wanted to share with you real quick for sure is uh, when you're home and you hear somebody breaking in, if you have like millions of people have a car fob now with a panic button, I do keep your extra uh, keys in your nightstand or on your nightstand wherever. So if somebody does break in, you can hit the panic button. And probably eight out of 10 times, it'll scare them and they run away. Oh, nice. That is such a good idea. Yeah. It's literally it's free. And and it might alert your neighbors, you know, the lights flashing from the outside, but you can definitely hear the car alarm. I like that. That's a great idea. And that might buy you a couple minutes of time to call 911. So keep an extra key fob in your nightstand. Yes. Or if somebody calls you and you don't want to talk to them, you could just have your car alarm go off. Oh, Multiple go. I'm busy. reasons. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my gosh. That's a great idea. So what you got today? Everybody knows Jessica Fletcher. Mm-hmm. She's the grandmother detective of Murder, She Wrote, played by Angela Lansbury. Love her. Literally have her phone case. Love her. Mm -hmm. She was inspired, this woman that I'm going to talk about today. So I'm super excited. She was born in Chicago. Frances Lee was her name. She was born into the International Harvester Fortune. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. From an early age, She loved mysteries and medical textbooks. Mm -hmm. They probably looked at her sideways. What is wrong with you? You should be playing with dolls, you weirdo. (laughs) That's kind of an interesting turn of events that we'll get to. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So her and her brother, they were both homeschooled. But then he got to go to Harvard. And despite how clever she was, she didn't attend college, which was typical in the early 1900s. Sure. This is way back when. Look who's doing an old timey. I know. <laughs> I And you know, I don't normally I know. do old timey. But this woman really impressed I'm me. I'm so intrigued. Go she's on. <laughs> blowing me away. Her brother got to go to Harvard and she's like, fine, I'll stay home. I'll stay back here. And I just think they underestimated her, what she could achieve. So at 19, she got married to a young lawyer named Blewett Lee. She became a wife and a mother, 
but she just grew unhappy with that. She knew she could do more. And after 16 years and three children, her marriage kind of dissolved. During and after her marriage, Frances's morbid fascinations persisted, and she found a friendship in George Magrath. Now, he was a friend that was studying medicine at Harvard, and he was particularly interested in death investigation. And so the two of them were like, you're awesome. (laughs) So George would become a professor in pathology at Harvard and a chief medical examiner in Boston. And together, the two of them, they lobbied to have coroners replaced by medical professionals. Oh, what? Yeah. Why can't I be doing something like that? You can. You just have to go to school for it. No, Francis she didn't. said so. Well, she didn't. <laughs> oh, you mean do what she does? Yeah. Lobby for shit yeah. to happen? You can. I'll lobby with you. <sighs> we just do a lot of that on change.org. Yes, right. <laughs> we need to start picketing. <gasps> so he just kind of fueled her imagination with murder and mystery. And basically, she loved that he respected her because mm-hmm. it was kind of a time when women weren't really uh, recognized as equals. And he confided his concerns about the field he was in like the poor training of investigators who often overlooked key evidence and they would contaminate crime scenes. So a few years after Francis's brother passed away in 1929, um, she was really close to him. She made a gift to Harvard in his honor, helping to establish the first of its kind department of legal medicine. Mm -hmm. Because she had money. Yeah. Later on in 1936, she finally got to inherit her fortune and she was free to pursue her passions. At a time when women didn't really have a place in police or law enforcement, forensic science barely existed. She became famous for her crime solving skills and taught an entire generation (gasps) of cops how to search for clues Using dollhouses. Oh, <laughs> nice. And they had beautiful dollhouses back in the day. Oh, these aren't your typical dollhouses. No longer under the watchful eye of her parents and a society that disapproved of her interests, she began working with her local police department in New Hampshire, earning the title of police captain. <gasps> The first woman in the country to achieve that rank. Wow. I know, right? That is awesome. Especially like with no college education or or anything. She really proved herself. No shit. I wish she would have done it when her mom was alive. But who knows if she would have gone that far if her parents were still alive. Right. It sounds like they were holding her back a little bit. It does sound like that. Frances became a forensic scientist, and she would also establish the George Burgess Magrath Library and the Harvard Seminars in Homicide Investigation. So she also endowed the Harvard Associates in Police Science, a national organization for the furtherance of forensic science. It has a division dedicated to her called the Frances Glessner Lee Homicide School. That's what I She has her own school in 1943 at the age of 65. Wow. It's not too late, honey. I guess not. It's. I still got at least 30 more years to go. 
<laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. I love you. 65 years old, she finally began work on the nutshell studies of unexplained death. Now, okay. what are these, you say? What are these nutshells? Yes. Let me tell you. Please. They were presented to you as if you were the first person to witness the scene of a crime. Okay. There were 20 models that were based on actual cases and were designed to test the abilities of students to collect all relevant evidence. And the models depicted multiple causes of death and were based on autopsies and crime scenes that she herself had visited. Okay. So at the time, most police, they were ruining everything, moving, touching, sure. failing to identify it. Trapes and all over. And she's like, I just cleaned up this place. Shit. It's like when your husband cleans and you're like, you missed a spot. Well, I don't say that because... I don't. I'll just say thanks, and then I'll go and do it again. Although he's a very good vacuumer. Oh, Alex. I do have to give that to him. Very good. Yeah. We love you, Alex. <laughs> Frances paid extraordinary attention to detail when she created these models, and all of them had working doors, windows, and lights. The rooms were filled with working mouse traps. Oh, and rocking chairs, food in the kitchens, the corpses accurately represented discoloration or bloating that would be present at the crime scene as well. And she would attend autopsies to make sure her dolls were she got that right. on point. Yeah. Can you imagine her busting in and being like, Listen, no, <laughs> I have to see this from my doll. These models cost about three to $4,500 to create each of them. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of money. She would even have like wall calendars up to the dates of the incident. This big, like an inch. Wow. I should, I should Google how much that would be nowadays. Yes. That would be... Ridiculous money. Yeah. So she even had a specific carpenter that built her furniture. Oh, well, and she had international this is a money. Yeah. <laughs> Students were instructed to study the scenes methodically. She suggested moving the eyes in a clockwise spiral and draw conclusions from the visual evidence. They were given 90 minutes, no more, to study the scene. I want to do that. Girl, <gasps> you can. I will put a link so you can. Oh, cool. Yeah. The nutshells became the centerpiece of her homicide investigation seminars at Harvard. And crime scene reports written by Francis are presented alongside each diorama, encouraging the trainees to act as the investigators. So they want to know, was this death the result of a homicide, suicide, accident, or natural causes? The miniatures not only taught investigators how to properly canvas a crime scene, but it also challenged their biases against women, mm -hmm. Francis in particular. So now she is now known as the mother of forensic science. We've got your mama. I bet you she wore like a snazzy suit too. All of the pictures that I have seen of her, she's like an old lady, old, old, old lady. <laughs> but keep in mind that she didn't start doing this until she was 65. So I didn't really see any other pictures of her when she was Aww. young. She must have been older than 65, though. 
She started and, making these yeah. when she was 65. So who knows how long she made them? Oh my God, those are so cool. <gasps> she even has a sink, probably with working faucets. Oh my God. It, they are really neat. I mean, I'm looking at a living room scene where there's a girl on her back with a knife and it just looks so real. Like with actual furniture. Super cool. Nutshell. Interesting. So the nutshells, they became the centerpiece of her homicide investigation seminars. And her crime scene reports are presented alongside each one. I wanted to just kind of go over some of these. Okay. This particular one that I'm going to talk about right now is called The Barn or The Hanging Farmer. Gosh, even with the... Straw, the hay. Eben Wallace was found hanged in his barn. And his wife told the police, well, when things didn't suit him, he would go out into the barn and stand on a bucket, put a noose around his neck, and threaten suicide. She said she always talked him out of it. Well, on that afternoon, he made his usual threats, but this time she didn't follow him into the barn right away. When she did go out there, she found him hanging there with his feet through a wooden crate, is what she said. It's terrible. But when you cry wolf too many times. So from that information, as well as studying the death scene, students could figure out that the bucket Eben usually stood on during his suicide attempts had been taken from the barn for other purposes. And drag marks were indicated he'd replaced it with a flimsy wooden crate. A logical conclusion would be that the farmer fell through the crate and accidentally made good on his long-stated suicide threats. But did he? One of the reasons we remain fascinated with these studies is because the mysteries don't always have clear answers. So it's kind of like Francis is mind-fucking us from the grave. Yeah. That's what I feel like. Pretty much. But it is not always what it seems, what you see. To me, you just look at the picture and there's a man hanging from a barn rafter. But like you just said, or is it? Yeah. You know, it's not always what it seems. I wonder, maybe she switched the crate. Right. Maybe she did. Maybe she was like, here. Right. So every element from the angle of the bullet holes, the placement of latches on windows, the pattern of blood splatters, everything is for observation and mm -hmm. could be important. There's another one called the dark bathroom. Maggie Wilson was epileptic, discovered dead in her bathtub. And when police arrived, they found the scene as it is. So water is pouring from the faucet over Maggie's face, although the tub stopper is not in place, which brings doubt on whether Maggie was drawing a bath at the time of her death. Her legs are stiffened by rigor mortis, indicating she may have died earlier than witness accounts had suggested. A bottle and empty glass are knocked over on the bathroom rug, mm -hmm. and that could be an indication that Maggie was self-medicating and slipped on her bath rug, fell backwards, and drowned under the running water. Mm -hmm. so if I just look at the picture, that could very well be because she's still fully dressed. I mean, she has all 
13 layers on, or is that a blanket? I can't tell. Or is that part of her dress? But she looks full, looks yeah. fully clothed. Nothing but carpet on the bathroom floor. So I don't know how she could have slipped. Right. It's not, you know, tile. So, but interesting. This is the one where I just said, oh my gosh, there's even a little sink with faucets. <laughs> So that's the picture I just looked at. Interesting. And it looks so lifelike. So a bedroom is what we're looking at right now. And it's got like flower wallpaper. It's red. Red <laughs> wallpaper with little, mm, I want to say yellow flowers. Mr. Green says... He met Marie on the sidewalk the afternoon of June 28th and walked with her to a nearby package store where he brought two bottles of whiskey. They went to her room where they sat smoking and drinking for some time. Marie, sitting in the big chair, got very drunk, and then suddenly, without any warning, she grabbed his open knife, which he had used to cut the string around the package containing the bottles. She ran into the closet and shut the door. When he opened the door, he found her. He left the house immediately after that. By studying the crime scene, of trainees might agree that the bottles indicate hard drinking. But why is there blood on the wooden floor and the rug if Maggie stabbed herself in the closet? Yeah, so she's laying right outside the closet door with her head on maybe a box or something. And she's laying sideways, too. When witnesses give their first statement mm -hmm. and you have to look around and be like, mm, that looks fake. Sus. Yeah. Yeah. And then my last one, a log cabin. And it looks like there's a body right, right inside the door. The body of Arthur Roberts, a local insurance salesman, was found by police who responded to a call from a friend of the victim, Mrs. Marianne Chase. His body rests just inside the open door of the nutshell study log cabin. Can I just say the log cabin is called Hideaway. Hideaway. <laughs> okay. Mrs. Chase was questioned and said she had met Arthur Roberts at the log cabin on Wednesday, October 21st, 1942 at 5.15 p.m. They were in the habit of meeting there. Ooh. Okay. Hey. At the high <laughs> the way. <laughs> Roberts was married and was living with his wife. Mrs. Chase was also married but was not living with her husband. Roberts had told her at this meeting that the affair between them was ended. Mrs. Chase and Mr. Roberts were standing at the foot of the bunk. He turned toward the door, took a package of cigarettes from his outside pocket, selected a cigarette, but dropped it. As he stooped over to pick it up, a shot was heard. He fell flat. A gun dropped beside him. Mrs. Chase said she picked up the gun, but then replaced it. It did not belong to her. She then ran out of the door. The gun was identified as belonging to Arthur Roberts, and Mrs. Chase identified the handbag on the bunk as hers. A single bullet had passed entirely through his chest from front to back, and the powder around the entrance hole indicated that it had been fired at fairly close range. Oh. I mean, she's just denying that it was 
Yeah. I mean, that's just. It wasn't me, <laughs> but I was the only one here. <laughs> wow. Interesting. It's interesting what people say. Oh, yeah, for like, sure. Really? It's not my gun. So you can view the VR version of these dioramas. I will put a link in the show notes. Okay. So you can definitely go check them out. And then, you know, when you go into them, if you click back out of them on the magnifying glass, the summary of each room will appear. So cool. So you can kind of look around up and down all over. And it's just kind of neat. It's super neat. Uh, Tomorrow I will march my ass down to the local PD station and be like, listen, what you got here? I could take home and play with. <laughs> I solve a murder. Can you imagine how much money we would spend at Hobby Lobby today on one of these little houses? I, I mean, I think a lot you can get at the Dollar Tree, probably. She had her own carpenter. Call out for carpenters to make miniature furniture for me. <laughs> It's just crazy. I know. Absolutely I want to know where she got all the carpet samples, probably from the house, maybe. Oh, that could be. Because they were like an exact replica of the crime scene. So she was just like showing up with her scissors, snippity snip snip, taking this home. <laughs> She's probably like those weird interior designers that you've met. That they're like, no, 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 this color. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. That was so interesting, Andrea. I have never heard of her before. Those. I should do something like that. We'll see if I can buy it. That'd be a perfect murder mystery dinner <gasps> thing. If you ever have one, oh my goodness. Oh, how cool would that be? Yeah. So I, cool. I had never heard of her either. And. I couldn't believe that I hadn't. We owe a lot to her. Hopefully, yeah. police aren't trampling crime scenes anymore. And how she opened the door for other women, it, you know, to go into that field or, you know, become a police officer or anything along those lines, you know. So that's awesome. Very cool. And then I just wanted to share like one good thing this week so we don't. And on a death note, <laughs> I have been reading a book called Atomic Habits, and it's so funny. Here's the funniest thing about this book. Yes, I am kind of a nerd, and I have a million A nerd? Uh, I took a picture. It's, it's, I can't even describe it <laughs> like what a psycho would do. I can probably count... 963 sticky notes sticking oh out. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, but at least 50. <laughs> so the I'm reading this and I'm like, I really don't have a lot of bad habits. I just want to pick up some good ones, mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, the first step is acknowledging it. I'm reading. The first <laughs> step is acknowledging your bad habits. And you're like, and I don't have any. <laughs> So I had to Google bad habits yeah, and uh, print them off. And then I'm like highlighting all these bad habits. And I'm like, oh, now I'm overwhelmed <laughs> with how many bad habits Which one do I, I want to drop first? Yeah. So check out this book if you are reading any books. This is a really great one, Atomic Habits. Hopefully it'll help you break some bad habits. 
And it's by it's James, James Clear. James Clear, yeah. Mm-hmm. You still got your Audible going on? I do. I do. Yeah, I am listening right now to When a Killer Calls by John E. Douglas. And that guy is amazing. I love him. He is like a Paul Holes. Oh. One of the original Mind Hunters. He's really good. That book is really good. Nice. There is, if you're interested, there is a book about what we talked about today. Mm-hmm. And it's called 18 Tiny Deaths. Oh, okay. Um, so is if there you, an audio version? I no, don't know. Probably not because you have to have the visual. I'm sure they have pictures in there. So There is a like a super big hardcover nutshell studies book as well. All if anybody's right. interested in that. Thank you for listening today. Thanks for coming back for it this one was a little different i loved it thanks for hanging in there with me and i hope you liked it and stay tuned stay judgy stay sassy Mm -hmm. and we'll see you uh next week yes all right bye. bye